Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Mike. Well, I tricked you there. I tricked you there. No I way. I got one. I got I one, Chuck. Got Did you hear that? Oh. Can you give me a stop dying, Chuck, please? Stop, stop dying, it. Chuck. Oh, thank you. Everybody stop Now dying. I know where I am. Just yeah. for a week or so, just stop dying. And you know, for goodness sakes, <laughs> you know, it was, it was like, so because people must listen to this and go, what the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> this all started about seven or eight years ago when over a, well, a, a queen's of mine's daughter was in my group on Tuesday. And by the next Tuesday, she was dead. And I was wow. the one that had to tell him. And it was just the most fucked up thing of my life. That's heartbreaking. Right? Yeah. I've told other parents, but I, I mean, they weren't friends of mine. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And so, so anyways, and so I just started this thing where, you know, fentanyl was rampant everywhere and people were, you were hearing all this, all these reports of people dying. And then finally this, this girl that I knew did die. And I think she was one of the first ones I knew that died of fentanyl. And I just combined like, this whole hearing about all this fentanyl death and then it had actually happened to me and i started saying to people when they were discharging when i'd hug them when they're discharging i you know you say you know whatever you say what you know it, you know go to sober living stay there as long as you can whatever whatever the appropriate discharge hug talk is and then at the end this one time with this boy a couple weeks after the girl died i said dude don't die and i shook his shoulders i was holding him by his shoulders i said dude don't die you know because i felt like he wasn't paying attention <laughs> <You know? laughs> wow and then it just and then the death then the death would just became like a tsunami and so i just started telling every kid i knew don't die right don't mm -hmm. die and it's it kind of became this thing where other kids started saying it to other to each other at, at aloe and and then it just became this thing and so now it's just just this reminder this is and what don't die what's what's saying don't die to a newly sober person or a, a person you're concerned about their quality of their sobriety or their motivation or whatever is to remind them consciously verbally Remind them, this is a deadly disease. You can die from it. You can be doing mm -hmm. good on Tuesday and participating in group. And next Tuesday, we're going to be talking about having gone to your fucking funeral. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's no joke. Yeah. It's no joke. So, it, you know, we joke about it, but it is true. It's like a reminder. Like, this is a deadly disease. I have... I have like two deadly diseases and I'm trying to dodge a third. I have liver disease <laughs> and I have alcoholism. <laughs> and then I'm trying to dodge this COVID shit. You know you what have I mean? a veritable like, tic-tac-toe of death. And, you know, <laughs> and here's, here's the thing. Like there's not a, it, and so, and everybody has to take their family history. You know, people don't emphasize enough. Chuck, they always ask, why do you ask all these fucking questions? Because these questions that we're asking pretty much say how long you're going to live, what health issues you have in store for yourself, what psychiatric and behavioral problems you might have in store for yourself. Family history is fucking everything. So 
when I got older and got to be 50, 55 or whatever, I started thinking about my family history because the, the direct family history is not great, Chuck. It's not yeah. great. My <laughs> yeah. dad committed suicide at 58. My mom died of cancer at 63. My sister mom died of cancer at 66. My other sister died in her late 50s of Lou Gehrig's disease. Like all my family is dead. All three of my sisters are dead and my parents are dead, right? That usually doesn't happen, you know? So, so when you go yeah. like that, you go, well, forests are doomed and, you know, they're like fucked up. Well, let's look at those people. All but one of them were alcoholic, right? So mm -hmm. four of the dead people were alcoholic. Huh. Right? My mom and dad, my sister's mom. And my uh, my sister that got the Lou Gehrig's disease, she was a codependent that made her physically ill, I believe. She mm. was so codependent, she actually, I believe, became physically ill because of it. That's how powerful codependency is. Right? Yeah. And so, so, so when you look at that, that's trauma, that's alcoholism. Another thing, they all smoked. They all my my dad smoked till the day he had a stroke like at 57 years old my mom smoked while she was getting chemotherapy for hodgkin's lymphoma she was smoking while she was getting chemotherapy so smoking right, right? so i could i started to spread out and look at my mom and dad's families i have like four aunts on my mother's side that lived to their 90s Okay. Guess what? Don't smoke. Don't drink. What do they? How about do? that, Chuck? You know what they there do? You... They they love to uh, go thrift shopping and play bingo, and uh, and they love uh, they love like golf. They golfed. They well, love I won't golf, but I'm they love gambling. Bingo. They used they used to go to Vegas a lot. Bingo's bingo's not good for you at all. Well, they uh, lived at this retirement home out in Victorville. They kind of had bingo. <laughs> bingo. Bingo. Bingo was the highlight of the fucking week. Hey, I played bingo there. Bingo's fun. Uh, bingo's crazy. It's the really ones fun. when Tristan was playing water polo, we'd have to go volunteer at the high school for bingo night. That <laughs> that shit's out of control. Are you oh, are you kidding me? They get crazy. It's when no those joke. old people start cheating and shit it's, yeah bingo so, so so then i looked at my dad's side of the family my uncle jerry i believe he's still alive i gotta check greatest guy he came and saw me when i spoke at my alma mater in palm desert when my book came out i spoke at the college there he came he was in his 90s then he came to me speaking right and I talked to him afterwards. And I says, Uncle Jerry, like, how do you explain that? Like, all your brothers are dead. And he goes, never smoke, never drink, Bobby. Mm -hmm. so, so this smoking, drinking thing has a lot to do with dying. Chocolate. How about pipes? <laughs> <Do> pipes count? <laughs> pipes <Right>? count. <laughs> so, so, so I haven't had a cigarette since 2000. I believe 13 might be 14, 2000, uh, no, 2003. It's been 16 or 17 years. I haven't let's, had a cigarette. 
Let's go right. over how much the nicotine gum is costing you per year again. Remember that okay, was a, okay. a fantastic so number. On average, it's it's when I'm lying, I say it's like one box a week. It's more like one and a half boxes a week. So if the boxes are fifty bucks, it's seventy five bucks a week. That's three fifty a month. That is four thousand two hundred dollars a year <laughs> times seventeen years. <laughs> Wait a minute. I got to get my computer. No, okay, I don't. Cor- that sounds like 4, way 000, too much. 4,000 times, 4, times 16 is 40. It's $65,000 I've spent on. Imagine the RV that you could have bought oh my for $65,000. That RV would have taken you uh, all over America. Oh, we haven't talked about the RV. So but I started if it buys thinking, you 30 years, that could buy you 30 years. That's a lot of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it evens out, right? But let, let me talk about the RV real quick because I'm looking out my window in my office at it. It looks so beautiful. But you know what would look even way more beautiful, guys? <laughs> a for sale sign so in the window? We went on a second, <laughs> we went on a second road trip. That's what my wife thinks. My wife just said that. Like, do you think we could sell it and get our money back? And I was like, I don't think so. I think we might take a loss of a few thousand, but. I'm not selling it. It's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> so I so thought it was noisy going down the road. It I was. thought it was. I thought but, you drove but to I a went, hotel. I, but I just went uh, up to Mount Baldy. You go so slow, like 35. It doesn't jingle at 35. So so I'm going. I'm going. I'm going down the road. And what do I see? You know, like because I haul ass, right? Because uh, we're not towing anything. It goes pretty fast. It, it'll go like 75, 70, Ooh, 70 78 maybe. <laughs> 78, <laughs> 77, 78, right around there. I tried there. to get it to 80. It won't go to 80. But So I'm cruising down the road, and I pass this truck that then is an RV in front of it that's making the diesel, the big, long truck go so slow, right? Mm-hmm. And I get get around i get parallel with it and i'm barely you know i'm going about four miles an hour faster than it is to try you're to get passing you're i'm passing, passing things <laughs> i'm passing things in this thing but not not like not Holy like blowing shit. past i'm not blowing past i'm just like with the wind a little bit more than the other <laughs> so you were drafting you mean, so on the big truck it's an rv you mean if the like, wind wait if the wind picks up against you you're not passing no, I'm not passing if I'm going against the wind. In Banning, in Banning, where all that wind is, it was going nice. really slow there. But let me tell you, so I passed this thing, dopest thing ever. It's the same as mine, like some sort of van with a big RV built on it. I don't know if it's my version, the Ford, Econoline, or some other one. Get this, guys. Completely flat primer black. The whole Ooh. fucking thing. It looks so cool. Okay. So you're going to murder out your RV. Yeah. How do you do it, though? I don't know. Where do you go? Do your sons probably know where to go, Chuck? <laughs> where do I go to get it completely black primer, the entire RV? Flat black. You know, there. I don't know. I don't think there's any Earl Shibes. That just dated me. You up. know what you do? You get Frenchie to paint it for you with the. Oh with my God, that's a great idea. Just get Frenchie to tape French it all off. French man could tape it all off and paint it flat black. Yep, it'd be a good oh, gig looks for him. So cool. And you know what looks so cool? They had the the uh, both all the rims were spray painted flat black. The whole fucking yeah. thing was black. Right. So cool. So, so it doesn't. Re- my, 
that makes it a lot RV, easier then, doesn't it? That's my <laughs> next RV project that I'm excited about. But yeah. but um but what were we talking about before before the RV? No <laughs> oh, no, it doesn't matter, man. <laughs> no, we were talking about we were talking about nicotine gum. Oh well, no, we were talking smoking about family, and how long family history, family, family history, history of how long life. you're gonna live. So my uncle Jerry lived ninety two. Then it turns out my auntie Lee lived in her in her late eighties or ni- early nineties. So there's a lot of forests that lived long time. So they live long gotta, time. They live long time to ninety. <laughs> they live long so, time. <laughs> now I don't want to live to ninety, but I would like to see. I would like to know close that. in. I'd like to close in on eighty for sure. Oh yeah. I'd like to feel the way I do now at like seventy-seven. If I can hold this kind of energy for eighteen more years, that'd be awesome. Yeah, but you'll be so old you won't remember how fast you were. You'll think you're fine. That's why we don't we don't really know. I mean, I, I'd love to see you be like ninety something. I think that'd be fantastic. Oh, it'd be hell. <laughs> think, be think about hell. it, right? <laughs> <laughs> like if I you just, make it to eighty, man, that's just you know that's just you won the yeah, race, man. Well, for hey, sure, everything everything over. Yeah, but women live uh, on average six years longer than men. But but uh, but. But 80, everything after 80 is bonus money. Like, I think yeah. at 80, you can start shooting heroin again, honestly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a For good sure, theory. right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't you think? I like the way I, you think, Bob. Did I, did I tell you about the client that showed up at Long, in Long Beach with black tar? What? Every, this guy oh was, you did was, La- yeah you did you already told this we, we we were talking about this earlier in in episodes about how i was asking if you thought that heroin was going to become an elite sort of drug where you couldn't really get the good pure stuff well, i don't i don't want to excite everyone but did anyone pay attention to last november's elections i know we were no. very focused on this presidency i guess there was some guy that was president that people really didn't like i forget the guy's name but he was president for four years mike and people hated him and so really? everybody was focused on yeah this guy forget his name but everybody was focused on this political this uh presidential campaign yeah. over in oregon do you know about this chuck over in the state of oregon Oh, and did you, decriminalized heroin, methamphetamine, cocaine, mushrooms, LSD. Decriminalized it. Let's see yeah. how that goes. I Let's... just found out about it yesterday. I am oh, so Bob. excited. Oh, Bob. <laughs> oh, I, I think I, I, I just can't wait to see how that pans out. <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to go the way everybody how thinks you, it does. How do you think it's going to go? Wasn't I there think- a riot there last night where they were like, <laughs> smashing up the De- Democratic National Conve- Committee? <laughs> well, this is like when people try to compare the United States to like a country as small as Portugal. It just doesn't compare. Well, no, and- I think, but to be fair, they're trying to compare Oregon to Portugal. <laughs> well, we'll see. There ain't, there ain't no way. That has got to be a one in a, in a million times that they de- decriminalized heroin. You can, Mike, are you understanding what I'm saying? You can walk around with heroin and syringes in your pocket in Oregon and not have to worry. 
Yeah, that's crazy, man. That you know, that's the way um, Holland was back in the eighties. I don't know if it still is, but you could you could basically just uh, go to the red light district and go into a a um, drugstore and ask for works, and they would give but you it, works. Yeah, but that it was still illegal. Drugs are. This is the first time. This is this is drugs are not illegal to that's carry crazy. them or possess it. them or be under the influence on them. See, I knew Mike would like it. The old Mike. Yeah. The mic that I know would, <laughs> it would support this organ thing, and he just did. Chuck, why do you think it's going to fail? I I don't hope it does, but I just it just it hasn't gone well wherever I've seen it play out before. I know that they tried that in Vancouver and it failed miserably because you just end up with more homeless and more sick because it's one of those things that people act like it's a free choice thing but we understand addiction that we lose free choice once we start up so the amount of human suffering as opposed to we'll we'll see if it cuts down on violence if it cuts down on black market if it cuts down on what but there's still because of the federal level and everything i mean that yeah but don't you think chuck don't you think chuck in a sense though that like it's legally what they can do now is make safe shooting sites where they can give health care they know where everybody is they can kind of have you register that's the way they're looking at it is that they can kind of keep tap they're also looking at it that they don't want to spend twenty three thousand dollars a year incarcerating drug addicts i think that's a major reason why that is and you can have safe injection sites too but it was you bob who said at one point that you know, that when we had a legal leg to stand on, we could get people to accept a treatment option. And a lot of those people, once they're in treatment, realize that they're in the middle of a problem. You know, we, we, when we don't have a legal, you know, then I, I, hope, I hope that suicide is legal in, court, in Oregon, too, then. I would like than them to yeah, legalize suicide, suicide, too. Suicide is legal in Oregon. Oregon's okay. a strange place, right? It didn't used to be. It used to just be hippies and um, lumberjacks. And you know that the leader of their state legislature is a QAnon lady. Like oh, Oregon, Oregon's like, I got to go back. They're up Antifa, there. Gotta, not, not QAnon. How is that? It's a state yeah. legislator. And you're huh. thinking of Portland. Portland is Antifa. But you know what Antifa, so can we just be clear about this? If you look up the history of Antifa, it actually is an organization. It was started in 1933 in New York City. Guess who started it? Meyer Lansky. Meyer Lansky, <laughs> the gangster. Guess who, guess who asked him to start it? A, A federal judge. And yeah. this judge, this, this judge came to him, wanted to have a meeting with him, came to him and said, listen. These Nazis are no joke. There's nothing we can do about it because of the First Amendment and blah, 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 blah. Same things that we're talking about now at the Capitol, right? Uh, There's nothing we can really do about it legally, but there's something you could do about it. Can you get your guys and go down there with some baseball bats and kick the living shit out of them? And that's what Meyer Lansky did. And that was the founding of Antifa. It was anti-fascist. It was anti the Nazis. And I'll send you a film. The Nazi party in America in 1936, I think, had had a convention at Madison Square Garden. There were 20,000 Nazis 
dressed in Nazi, you know, the swastikas stickers and whatever in Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and you know That's what happened? The Meyer Lansky and all the mobs just stood outside with baseball bats. And when they came out, they just beat the holy hell out of them. You got to see this movie. I'm going to send it to you guys. So cool. Weren't we playing in Berkeley when some Antifa stuff came down and went some riots happened like right around the club and that we were playing at? Yeah, I don't think it was Antifa though. This is just a bunch of, you know, left wing left wing. And it's not a protest when you start beating people and burning shit down, is it? Is it a protest then? No, uh, that's a riot at that point. That's a riot, man. <laughs> i've been in a couple of those you gotta see this you will not believe it so somebody um took the old film and reprocessed it and made it all cool and so that you can see this because and it was in reaction to people saying oh it's not that big a deal it's not that big a deal why are you guys so freaked out this could never happen here and i can tell you it can happen here and uh and uh a federal judge and Meyer Lansky said it ain't going to happen here. It takes the people saying it ain't going to happen here. Doesn't just not happen here because we say it doesn't. Wait till you see this, Mike. You're going to love it. Here, I'll send, send you the whole video. It's called "A Night at the Garden," and it's and and anybody can go on. So you just Google "A Night at the Garden," and it's a video of the Nazi parties. Uh, oh, yeah, a convention at Madison Square Garden, and, and so that too—that's why the Antifa was started over that meeting. So uh. if you've got twenty thousand people that are willing to show up and they're and they have the full dress regalia, how many more for every one of those twenty thousand do you not see? I Nazi. know, but they, I said uh, Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> was that? What was that? But I mean, <laughs> you know, you gotta fight, you gotta fight, you gotta fight fire with fire sometimes. Right, but, um, but, but it's the same thing with, like, for every one of the idiots that showed up at Capitol Hill, there's another 100 people who think that they were doing God's work, right? So the, you, there's always the undercurrent of people that are not willing to go to that thing. But, may, you know, maybe people just were, were different back then. I Well, it, it was a depression, you forget, Chuck. I read your history book. I mean, America was on the on the brink of either becoming socialist communist nazi i mean the whole thing was falling apart and a man rose up and a man kind of uh, kind of took the reins and people believed in him and that guy said franklin delano roosevelt in his inauguration speech said we have nothing to fear but fear itself uh, think about that true. Yeah, and I, I just, I just, I don't really fear these all this nuttiness that's going on, whether it's up in Portland or at the Capitol. I don't fear it because I know that, like, pretty much like seventy percent of the population thinks like I do. Like, I just want my kids to grow up, or, or, like or at least cool. rationally, right? Yeah, I, be, I, I, be cool right. to each other. You know, I got my. I got my team I'm rooting for, but I'm not tied to them. Like, I'm not going to, I would never, here's an interesting thing. And this came up over the people saying they would die for Trump. I don't think there's anything I would die for. I wouldn't die for AA. <laughs> I wouldn't die for QAnon. I wouldn't die for Joe Biden. I wouldn't die for Aerosmith. There's nothing I believe in. 
I'm not willing to die for anything. And I love Aerosmith. You got to understand. I love them. But I'm not willing to die for them. The, right. the, the, the idea that, like, you know, you always say this romantic thing that you never have to do. Like, I would die for my child. Like, I would take a bullet for my child. Easy to say, because who's trying to shoot your kid? Right? But you like to believe that about yourself. You like it's to romantic, it. yeah. And it's such it's a romantic heroic. thing. Like, yeah. like I, I could be like Superman and somebody would try to shoot Sydney and I could jump in front of the bullet and take it for, you know what I mean? Like, there's all, this, all, these, all these ideas of what I would die for. But I truly believe, I know for a fact in my heart of hearts, there is no religion, no, no psycho support group, no polit political party, no politician, no guru, no anything that I'm willing to die for. What do you think creates that sort of personality that is willing to, because we already have a sports team mentality with politics. Where it's yeah. just like my team rules and your team sucks. So, but what creates that that super devotee? Is it is it the I I, I don't know what it is that makes it. Well, I think it's I think I think you have to have a sense. Are you of raised self. that way? Like I could read all the QAnon's been a big subject the last couple of days because my wife finally found out what it was and she couldn't believe it. She's like, "You're kidding me!" I go, "No, they believe Tom Hanks eats babies." Yeah, well, like, he, do he like, doesn't. Is that what you're saying? And, <laughs> but listen to this: <laughs> if you were if you were trying to create the craziest thing, you would take the nicest guy that everybody likes and say he eats babies. <laughs> It's just like, well, it just, like if, I was, <laughs> if I was going to start something like uh, who, you know, because if you said Kanye eats babies, people would be like, oh, yeah, probably. Mm. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> if, you said, if you said, you know, but but it's Tom Hanks. Everybody loves Tom Hanks. He's the nicest guy. Except for, Polar, except for Polar Express, he was great. But that's part of a mind control technique thing where you go something extreme like that, pounding it in until they actually sort of believe it. And then they start believing stuff that's even less, but just as dangerous. You know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, it's, a, it's a technique. Read the QAnon. Read what QAnon is. They believe that there's a cabal, right? That there's this infrastructure, like world power, that's that's like Biden and Hillary Clinton or the Clintons and the Bushes and all these people, and and they're eating, they're having sex with children and eating their bodies, and yeah, nobody knows weird. about it, and it's been going on for years and nobody knows about it. I mm. guarantee you. If George W. Bush was eating babies, we would know about it. Yeah, this is the thing is that people, that's the thing like, about conspiracy theorists. I know how many bowel movements Kim Kardashian had today. <laughs> we know every, we know too much about people. Yes. We know too There's no mystery. much about, we know too much about each other. We know too much, the, the, we know too much about celebrities. It's just ridiculous. And this idea that there's a secret world that nobody knows about, like there's nothing secret. Nothing is a secret. There's no secrets. Poor people are poor because they hate each other. That's a, that's a basic fact of human control. So if 70% of the American public doesn't have $400 in their checking account, 
Then there's another 27% that have a really good amount of money. And then there's this elite part that have ungodly amounts of money. Wouldn't it make sense just numbers wise? Wouldn't it just make sense that the 70% join together and come after us? Wouldn't you just get all the white trash people from Florida and all the <laughs> urban people and they just get together and come and kill me? That's what makes sense. Yeah. That, that, but it never happens because they play each other against each other all the time. Oh, yeah. It works great. That's that's one of the coolest, like, dumb things to come out of the inauguration. It was somebody posted, pretty fancy inauguration for a guy that owes me 2000 bucks. You know, it's like, is everybody... <laughs> Everybody waiting on their check. Everybody's waiting on their check. But here's a good thing. And I started believing this in the early 2000s because I know this for a fact. Addiction affects the poor people in Florida. It affects the poor people in the inner city. It affects my family. It affects the elite billionaires' families. That's a, a, a friend of mine, a, a acquaintance, person I know whose son died last week. He's a billionaire. A billionaire, one of the one percenters, son died. The pain of that is the same as your son dying in West Virginia. It's the same as your or my son dying. Drugs and drug addiction and alcoholism are the universal problem of mankind, not just America. It, you would, it would seem that we could all have compassion towards one another when somebody, you know, from poverty in West Virginia child died that feeling that the beverly hills housewife has when her child dies it's the same and it, it should unite us that's it what should. i always thought it would be the universal thing that no one could argue against our children are dying poor people's kids rich people's kids in between people's kids our children are dying and even worse they're killing themselves mm -hmm. we got to come together over this and so that really is my mission. Like, can't we, we can argue about Biden or war or Trump or whatever. That's all just fucking, that's all just whether you like Heinz ketchup or, you know, vegan ketchup. To me, it really doesn't matter. When Elvis yeah. and, and Bug have to have in services at their schools of what to do when one of their classmates is trying to kill them, we should all pause and say, we need to focus on this. We need to understand why suicide is skyrocketing. We need, to, we need to focus on that because it's in every part and every hamlet and every, you know, little hidden corner of America. And that's what I think. I think that's why I do the podcast. That's why I talk. That's why I care. I really do think it's the universal thing that we could all kind of have compassion towards each other about. You know, when a friend of mine's, when a client of mine dies, I don't ask what the politics are of their parents before I start feeling empathy for them. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And, and so it, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting time because I don't think suicide rates going to go down. I don't think the drug overdose rate is going to go down. I don't think the, helplessness and hopelessness that young people feel is going to go down. And then, you know, cause I've been very pessimistic these last few months on the podcast. And then I saw that little girl or that young woman speak at the inauguration. And if anybody can hear that poem and be cynical 
you're an asshole. That was amazing. It wasn't partisan. It wasn't finger pointing. It was talking about all of us. And I'm sure there's part of the population just going to hate it because it was at Biden's inauguration. That's fine. I understand the division of politics and whatever. But watch that girl's four minutes. You should yeah. be. It gave me hope about America. Not Good. Biden. Biden doesn't give me a lot of hope. But that that girl, <laughs> that woman, she Biden's did. a good dude, man. No, Come okay. On. Biden's a good guy. Yeah, he's been saying the same shit for thirty years. Honestly, it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, it kind of does. You know, finally, people <laughs> I'll tell are you listening. one thing. I'll tell you one good thing about Biden. There would be no Obamacare if it wasn't for Joe Biden. Obama wouldn't have been able to get that through the Congress. He wouldn't have. It's Joe Biden that got universal. Joe Biden got us one step closer to universal health care, which is a human right, not an, a privilege. Right? Yeah. And I say this, being a person who, if there was universal health care, I would be unemployed. That that came up today with the idea of okay, what happens to this workplace if uh, if we you know this is going to all go to um, like the rock centers and the impact and the the um, Phoenix houses and all that and that that's fine. I mean that changes the whole dynamic of no, treatment I mean, all together. Mostly, what will go away is the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million jobs in healthcare billing. That's what uh -huh. you're going to get rid of. Arguing yeah. over the bill is what's going to go away. Which right? I'd be happy with. because I know, but it's still half a million people, I'll bet, that would lose their jobs. Good, good paying jobs. So we got to figure that part of the equation out. It really well, is true. They, and, and they would need to figure that the same way we would need to figure it, the same way when there's change and it's for the, the better good. I mean, we didn't grow up in a time where we could work at the factory down our street like our parents did. We, we didn't no. roll into a job when we were 18 until we retired and the wife could stay home and take care of the kids on that money. Here's the I interesting mean, thing. Let's talk about people's life paths because my dad went to college and graduated from from Minnesota University with a, uh, with a, I think a master's, I don't know, maybe it was just a BA in business administration, right? So he was cued to go work at a corporation and be a, a, a what he would call a paper pusher. But before he was going to do that, since he was so young, he was only like, I think he went to the war in 44. He was born in 18. He was 26 when he went in the war. He came back in 46. He was 28. And he decided, like, no, nah, I haven't really lived. I'm going to do some other things before I just settle down and, you know, take my degree and make it, you know, become a robot or whatever. I think he really thought that. Like, you go work what he used to say. You go work for one of those corporations, boy. You go work for one of those corporations. And this is in the 50s he's thinking like that. <laughs> like, I don't want to work in one of those corporations. Good for so, him. So first he became a Greyhound bus driver because he wanted to see the country. How cool is that? My that, dad used to drive Greyhound. To yeah, right? And this is in 46, 47, maybe. Um, then he yeah, but aren't you driving? No, I mean, you got to keep your eyes on the road, man. You can't be just looking around at the stuff. Yeah, but you by. get to go. If you're, <laughs> if you're going from, you know, I think he went... 
I think he went mostly, he talked about going to Rochester and back to Minneapolis and then over to Chicago and back to Minneapolis. But I mean, you know, you get to see and meet a lot of people and do a lot of shit. He's from Cloquet, Minnesota. He never seen anything but a town of like 1,200 people. And so didn't people's didn't people still get dressed up to ride the bus back then? Like yo, with yeah, suit, suit and tie and hat. Let's talk right. about how, how what the misconception is of musicians touring. Like they get to see a whole lot of stuff. You know what you get to see when you really tour a lot? You get to see the inside of the hotel room and you get to see the nightclub. That's it. Well, I mean, no, but if you do it right, like I, I mean, you were a slave to a record company. So you, yeah, yeah, your life was that I know, but, but in the bicycle thief, when me and Josh went on tour, it was fun. Cause we, we just traveled together in this little Volvo wagon, or then we got one of those Vanagon things like those moms, soccer mom vans. And we would just stop at little towns and go thrift shopping. We had a lot of fun. You can have a lot of fun if you're not having a record company say you have to be there before sound check at three 30, because some dumbass meaningless person's going to come and ask you questions. that's supposedly going to lead to fame and fortune. You know, that that's what you were, the low and sweet is what you're talking about touring, right? Oh, uh, yeah, that. Yep. It's always like, it's like, Chuck, I don't know if you know the old record company way, but they used to always tell you like this, you got to do this and this and this. It was their job to make you busy, to act like they were, you know, you were doing the things necessary to become the Chili Peppers, say, right? But really, the way you become the Chili Peppers is to get a song on K-Rock. And K-Rock only adds like 10 songs a year. So you got hundreds of bands trying to get those 10 slots, right? And anybody who got those slots became huge. Sublime, Offspring. Like it literally was. If you get one of those slots on K-Rock and you've got a song that click, you know, pretty much Kevin Weatherly who did it, he would only pick songs that were really going to click with the audience that listened to modern rock radio. So if you, if you had the song that they, and you got it through the eye of a needle to be on K-Rock, you're going to be successful. And if you didn't, you're wasting your time getting there at 3.30 doing an interview. It's not going to lead to anything. I realized mm. that doing the bicycle thing. So no interviews, I'm going to fuck. We're just going to have fun. We're opening for the Red Hot Chili Peppers every night. We play from 7.05, Chuck. We play from 7.05 to 7.35 every 20. night. <laughs> 20, 30 solid, solid 30, 25 solid 30. of music, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Solid 30. Walk on, you know, uh, play your eight, eight songs and walk off. I like when the lights came up when you when you opened for the Chili Peppers. You know, you'd be on stage and the lights would go up and we'd start rocking and everything, and everybody'd just be cheering and cheering and just. And then all of a sudden they'd realize that this isn't the Chili Peppers. <laughs> 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 they'd all sit down. <laughs> that happened. That happened more than once. Uh, the best thing that ever happened. And I bet you 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 could find this if you want, Mike. In 1999, going into 2000, that was the where everybody thought the world was going to end because computers weren't going to click over or something. Yeah. The, whatever that was called. What was it called? Y2K. 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 Yeah. We opened for the Chili Peppers at the Forum, right? And it was also rocking all over the world night on ABC television or something. <laughs> and so, so they were, they had like, U2 was in Australia and 
somebody else was in London, the Oasis was in London, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers are in Los Angeles. And somehow, through the whole TV show, it got fucked up time-wise, and they said, and now, ladies and gentlemen, from Los Angeles, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and they cut to the forum, and it was the Bicycle Thief playing. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? That's great for the Bicycle Thief. <laughs> yeah, but I always wondered because I don't, you know, you don't think like people watching those New Year's Eve shows really know that much about rock music. I wonder if they know that that wasn't the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Well, no, they probably day. still think it is. Like, they might think it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I, but I really do, I do feel like, I don't know, I feel like things are really awful. And when things are really awful, as examples in all three of our lives, when things are really awful, there's a lot of possibilities. Some are really <laughs> bad, like sometimes I think is going to happen. And then other times I think, well, you never know what's going to happen. Something good might happen. You know right. what I mean? Some, some, something, something might change everything. Right. Um, Pers perspective. Sometimes just a little bit of a little bit of change. I would just take a little bit of change. I, mm -hmm. I don't expect Republicans to roll over and be happy that Biden's in charge. I don't expect that. But I do expect everyone to be cool to each other for a few weeks or months. Yeah. Just be cool. Well, we, all, well, we just but, went through a really traumatizing time as a society. We had to look at a lot of ugly things about ourselves, mm -hmm. right? Ugly things that I knew existed. I also think that the news not amplifying everything is going to be a big hit. Oh, it's going to help that there's there's not a, a, a mass media trying to discredit everything at every turn. Anyhow, I mean, just I'm just waiting for the the, the anti-Trumpers to finish dieseling out. There's still a lot of hyper negativity, and I just keep thinking, man. Let it go. Quit giving this man everything that that you are. What are they going to do with all but that energy? Just, but he was just a symptom. All, right. all the sickness is here, right? Like I laughed the other day. Like Biden did this whole executive order that you have to wear a mask in a federal building, and then he was walking through the Capitol and he didn't have a mask on, and Fox News got him. And I was like, yeah, that's, you know, that's all right. He, so he fucked up. We're just trying to say <laughs> as best you can, right? <laughs> yeah. But did you see yeah. he got godded? He was, he was probably the first offender of his executive order. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and that's okay. You know what? You know, uh, the, the latest in the Tito saga that's fantastic is that he tried to go into a burger place, into TK Burger in downtown Huntington. And they wouldn't let him come in without a mask on. And so he lambasted them on social media. And there's been like a, a line out the door and around the corner ever supporting, since he did Supporting that. the restaurant. <laughs> supporting the restaurant. <laughs> it's just like, you know, there's just no winning with people are seeing through. I hope, I hope that we can calm. I know we will. We will calm down and just get back to the regular. But I like looking at history. So I went back and I read one night down a rabbit's hole, all this stuff about the 1918 pandemic. Do you know that the same things were going on? There were cities and little, little uh, municipalities in the South rejecting mask wearing. 
there were there was a federal law people were arrested and fined for not wearing masks this is in the 1918 spanish flu epidemic this shit's been no this mask argument is not created by trump and it's not created in by huntington beach doofus guy if this is something about americans and I, I, I sent Chris Rock a joke. I was hoping he might use it. Interesting thing about white—it's <laughs> an interesting thing about white people, right? In their private lives, they constantly wear masks because like, I'm white, and I've seen a lot of white people in private in their private lives. Those Ku Klux Klan people wear masks. <laughs> the Shriners, when you go to a Shriner indoctrination thing in those weird Shriner places, they wear masks. When swingers are sharing their wives around, they wear masks. Mardi Gras. <laughs> Mardi Gras, when they're showing their boobs, they, they wear masks. Yeah. White people love wearing masks, except when it could help someone else not die. <laughs> <laughs> what is okay. that about, Chuck? Think about that. And then... And then in the March on Washington, it was so funny. I watched all of the different videos. I went on some crazy QAnon uh, channels and watched the videos. They keep talking about their freedom is being taken from them, right? Yeah. The freedom. We're fighting for mm -hmm. our freedom. And it's been my experience when I was in a, a downward spiral and I didn't have a job and I wasn't very productive and I was self-destructive and I was a criminal and I was a drug addict. I didn't feel free. There wasn't a lot of freedom going on. And I, I wonder, because I feel free. I feel free to do whatever I want. I, I, you know, you got to put your will into it and you got to make shit happen for yourself and your family. But I don't feel like anybody's holding me back. I'm not crazy about taxes, but, you know, it's fucking the, the law of Caesar. What are you going to do? Um, <laughs> but but I don't feel like somebody's holding me back. But when I watch these QAnon people and these people, I believe in their heart of hearts. They feel something is holding them back. And what they need to come to realize that that thing that's holding them back is them. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing that was holding me back when I was sleeping under the Hollywood Freeway Bridge on Melrose. It's the same thing that was holding you back. And it's the same thing that was holding Mike back. It's self-obsession and laziness and a weird kind of narcissism. That's what I call addiction. It's a weird sort of narcissism. It's like self-pity and arrogance at the same time. Simultaneous self-pity and arrogance. Yeah, everybody want everybody has that built in. They want to see they want everybody to see them as some sort of intelligent persons with an intelligent opinion, you know? And social media has amplified that. Pity and self-pity and arrogance really get you nowhere in life. Is it one of the self seven deadly sins, Chuck? Self-pity? Self-pity? Uh, no, no, no. It should be. It should be. <laughs> <laughs> so self-pity. No, no, but pride is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, pride has something to do with it. But, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm a victim. Them and I know everything of how the world should work. The big book says, and I love this part, I don't like many parts of the big book, but I do love this part. I was frightened and arrogant, driven by a thousand variations of self-centered self fear, self-related fear, right? Frightened and arrogant. Mm. And what I saw in those videos was people who were frightened and arrogant. 
And so I started thinking, the solution is AA. The solution is... It's totally... (laughs) You are exactly right. The solution is Jesus, then. If they're not alcoholics, then the solution is Jesus. Truly Jesus, not political Jesus. True Jesus. What (laughs) what Jesus people talk about, right? Or they need Islam. Or they need Nation of Islam. Or they need Judaism. Or they, they need something to guide them to humility and to uh, first the thing they need to recognize is how repulsive being frightened and arrogant is right that's one thing all three of us recognize like you know i always tell the story nobody wanted to hang out with me chuck how come because it was because it was really repulsive (laughs) because people knew you were going to steal from them well that's that too yeah. I think they didn't mind the stealing. It was the whining baby shit that they couldn't yeah. take. Right? Because many people would, like when I would ask somebody, I used to go to that club Moguls. I don't know if it's there. It's not there. Oh, anymore, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, place. I used to go there. That was a really hot spot when I was homeless. I would go there and I would find anybody that I knew or anybody that I knew like, like Thelonious Munster and I would ask them to borrow 20 bucks. Oh, yeah. And many times, um, I striked out because, you know, people got tired, you know, tired of me or wouldn't say, oh, I don't have the money. Or I'm not going to, you're just going to spend it on drugs, all those moralists, right? So a lot of times I would be ending up there like 1230, one o'clock in the morning, it'd be closing on a weekday night. And I would ask people if I could stay at their house. And then ironically, many times they would say, no, but I'll give you 20 bucks. So I would get this <laughs> So guess what I did? I altered my thing. I wouldn't go there at like 1030 or whatever. I'd always show up like at 1230, sit in my car out in front in the red zone. And then just as everybody's coming out, I would get out of my car and walk up and go, hey, can I stay at your house? And I would get like 40 bucks. And the night I got That's arrested. That's a good gig, huh? The night I got arrested, and I'm just going to say, it, Perry Farrell was there. Perry Farrell is the reason why I'm alive. How about that? How crazy wow. is that? So I'm standing out in front of Moguls. Perry comes walking out. I go, hey, dude, what's happening? I, am, I hadn't seen him in a year, maybe. He goes, oh, Bob, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm like, blah, blah, whatever story I had, like my girlfriend kicked me out or whatever. And uh, I said, you don't have 20 bucks, do you? And he reached in his pocket and he had a wad of hundreds. <laughs> and he said, oh, I don't have 20. And I said, a hundred will do. I'll get you back. I'll get you back. Yeah, like, I still, you still have the same number? You know, when you see somebody with a hundred dollar <laughs> bill that might be yours? And yeah. he gave me a hundred dollars. How great you is that? Saved your life. And he said, no, no, don't worry about it. Great to see you. And I was like, into my car on Hollywood Boulevard, on the Hollywood freeway, while he... Before Perry Farrell got to his car, I was at Alvarado in the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And because I, you can't go to score with a $100 bill because you'll get ripped off. I went to yeah. the Arco and PM. I got $10 worth of gas. I remember I had 90 bucks. I go, I'm copping at Burlington below 6th Street. Mike knows this area very well. Oh, yeah. And I'm only because I'm so excited. This is the first time, Mike, I had $90 in probably three months. <laughs> and I'm just looking in the spot where they come out of the apartment. I'm, you know, I'm like, Chiva, 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 Roca, Roca, Roca. I'm yelling it, right? And they, this one little dude comes out and goes, Rock, 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 Roca. And I got $20 worth of rock. And then I'm like, Chiva, Chiva, Chiva. And 
and they're waving me to go away. And I holding up two twenties. Right. And finally this kid comes running out and then he runs back as soon as he gives it to me. Now I'm thinking I got ripped off and I'm just looking at, it. I open the balloon up. I smell it. Oh, it's dope. I go to, you know, drive and there's a cop watching the whole thing. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> But they right. didn't do anything. No, they were waiting for me to, you know, they're going to pull me over, right? They, they're not going to bum rush you. They waited. And so I, I, they were coming down the side street and I saw them. I started driving like I was going to go straight. And I saw them starting to pay attention to me like they were going to get behind me. And I made a fast left, like a loopy left back towards them and just hauled ass in the opposite direction of what they were facing. And I lost them. Huh. I fucking lost them. And I parked my car in an alley and I walked out to the street. And I was just sitting around there. I sat around there for like 15 minutes. Like, I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. I got away. And I went back to my car. I drove down uh, Union Street to Olympic. And there was like four squad cars behind me and in front of me. I was like, holy fucking shit. And that's how I got arrested. And that's how I got sober. Ah. Miracles ah. happen. Miracles that's happen. how he saved your life that's how he saved my life i'll be damned because if he would have given me 20 i probably wouldn't have uh been so i would have been more cautious i yeah. believe the excitement of the hundred dollar bill is what threw me <laughs> off my game <laughs> right right you know uh, what I mean? yeah yeah oh boy a hundred dollars just fucks you up when you're a nickel and dime junkie it just yep. fucks with your mind absolutely and, and actually, by actual timeline fact, I wouldn't have stopped and gotten gas. I probably would have gotten $20, you know, $5 worth of rock, $15 right. bag of dope, and it, the, the misery would have continued for God, second, knows, yeah. for God knows how much longer. But that cop was there. I wasn't paying attention like I usually do. I had stopped to get gas because I had to break the hundred. I think about this shit all the time, how beautiful and random and what grace really is. You can't count on grace happening again. You can't count on it. How can I count on that happening again or something similar? Right. You, you were intervened. That was an intervention. Absolutely. I love you guys. I think, I think, Things are always getting better and worse at the same time. And I have a feeling better is a little more predominant right now. I don't know why. Because of that girl that spoke at the, at the inauguration. There's just, if there's more kids like that, the world is going to be a better place. Yeah, it's going to be nice. There you go. That's beautiful. That is the truth, man. That girl, Gorm, Gorman, her last name is. See you later, kids. Don't die, you guys. Bye. Don't die, anybody. Everybody stay well. Stay alive. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake. 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.